real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. What a nice crowd. Helen, how are you? I'm very well, Jay Keith. How are you? Very well. It's been a while since we uh, had a taping. What have you been up to uh, since then? Uh, well, it's it's pilot season. Oh, uh, the, the seasonous time of the year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For actors, it's uh, it's when you know you audition to play like the big be like be the main character in new upcoming series, mm -hmm. and it's called pilot season, and it's it's the most stressful time of the year. Uh, and I have given up drinking for pilot season, otherwise known as Hollywood Lent. <laughs> <laughs> so I and haven't had a drink in two months. And how's that going? Boy, wow. <laughs> Good times. Okay, and how's your pilot season Good going? Time. Have you been auditioning for pilots? I have been auditioning for pilots. What it's kind of roles does a Helen Hong go out for? Well, I'm very fortunate in that uh, I get to play all kinds of things. I get to play a young mom. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, I also get to ask to play not-so-young mom. <laughs> oh. uh, I get to play quirky coworker, mm -hmm. wacky neighbor, mm -hmm. lab technician a lot. A lot of lab, yeah, a lot of lab Medical doctor quite sure. a lot. Uh, but yeah, I actually, because, uh, because I do have a background in stand-up comedy, I am known as a funny gal, mm -hmm. and, um, but I have done some dramatic things as well. So I, I get asked to do a lot of different things. Uh, just, I just never get asked to play a man, and that's pretty much the only thing I've Is that something you would like to do? Play a man? Yeah. Yeah, All right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, come on, Hollywood. Uh, well, I have given up on my Hollywood dreams, so uh, <laughs> during this time of year, I like to travel. I recently got back from a trip to Portugal. Oh, how was that? Uh, uh, it was very nice. It was, uh, it was uh, people say, like, well, what do you do when you go to X place? And it's pretty much the same thing. I eat a lot. I look at stuff. I look at art. If I can, I scuba dive. So uh, I did all those things. And then apparently I've been traveling a little bit maybe too much because, uh, A, I kind of forgot that the trip was coming up uh, in advance of the trip. It was oh. a place I've been wanting to go for a long time. Oh. But I, I kind of realized, oh, wait, that's this week? Uh, and then while <laughs> Where's I was, my passport? Yeah. And then while I was on the trip, I forgot that I had to go to London uh, on the way back. What? I completely forgot. Um, and I don't say that as a way of like bragging and sounding jet set. I say that as a way of... I apparently don't uh, look at things when I, when I, when I book them. Uh, I had an overnight uh, stay in London on my, my layover on the way back, and I had not booked anything, so I had to figure oh. all that out. So that was, uh, that was fun. It turns out there are a lot of uh, nice uh, hotels near Heathrow, uh, and also the one that I stayed at. <laughs> so, uh, so that was an adventure. Oh, wow. But it's, uh, I'm very, I was very happy to, uh, to return and happy to be back. And guess what? What? Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of the show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is an actor whose many credits include The West Wing, Dr. Ken, and The Goldbergs. It's Susie Nakamura! Susie Nakamura! Susie coming to the stage with her beer, waving to the crowd. Susie! Susie, it's wonderful to see you. Nice to see you, Susie. Now, Susie, it says here in my notes that you and I have been friends for many years. Yeah. Yes, we have. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you remember this, I actually uh, stayed at your home once. Is that true? Uh, you were there. I didn't, I didn't sneak in or anything. Wait a minute. I remind me. I was living in New York for a while, and I had to come back to L.A. For, for work, and you were kind enough to put me up in your guest room. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yes, I've had a lot of people in that guest room. I think I yelled at you for something. I think so, too. What was it? I don't know, something about the a towel or the cat or something was, something was out of place. So what, uh, what I'm hearing is I'm a great host. You were, you were very generous. After this podcast, no one's going to stay in my house again. How do you feel about that? I don't know, I'm sad. Oh, I didn't mean to make you <laughs> I'll, sad. I'll come stay at your house. Come we can stay at my house. It's friend. like having an Asian auntie constantly scolding you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of a sudden I felt the drive to, to improve and do, do more things and do them better. Come on over. <laughs> no, you're doing that wrong. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's very really nice. Peak Asian auntie uh, <laughs> or Asian mom. Yeah. Um, Susie, I get confused for you all the time, and I actually find it to be an honor. Oh, oh 
Yeah. Because oh, people, people get so excited. Like, there are, like, certain times where people get so excited to see me, and they're like, oh, my God, it's you. And I'm like, yeah. And they go, oh, my God, I loved you in that show with Matt LeBlanc. And I'm like, no, um, that wasn't me. Um, I had a really drunk guy come up to me and tell me how much I've changed his life and how how great I am in my comedy, and I realize, oh, he's, he thinks I'm Margaret Cho. <laughs> oh, wow. But he was so drunk that I yeah. couldn't correct him. Oh. And no, I've gotten this from sober people who legitimately think that I'm you. Yeah. <laughs> and I find it an honor. I'm Just like, say, oh, that's, by the way, you. that's Susie Nakamura, and she's awesome. And then they <laughs> feel really bad, and they scurry away. And then I for just going, thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, no, take, I, I take it. I, I whenever I get confused with Margaret Cho, I think it's an honor as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you and I have something in common, which is that we, we both love cats. I love cats. And in fact, you describe yourself on your Twitter uh, as a cat lady. Cat lady. Yeah. Really? How many cats do you have? I just have two. That's, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's plenty of cats. <laughs> Do you want to have more? I'm I getting can this do better. I always feel like I can do better. Really? You want more? You want well, like I have a bit really big cat, so it's sort of like having like two and a half cats. One of my cats is 24 pounds. What? Oh, wow. That's like a dog. I do not give him treats. Don't let's not it's I'm I'm not that kind of he's just husky. He's just he's big boned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Husky and big bones. I'm not, I don't have some spoiled fat cat like eating bonbons by the fireplace. Like those he's fat just, cats in just... Washington, huh? <laughs> right, cat? No? He's All right. Just, he's I went just political. big boned and okay. he's, he's a gifted athlete. <laughs> really? What, what, what sports does he excel in? Uh, he just, he's, he's just a g- good runner. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. He's a good runner and a good jumper. Okay. Really good. It's hard to be a good jumper yeah, with, with, with that with way. With that kind of heft, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, now, you've worked on a lot of shows. Uh, I imagine that the one you get asked most about, would, would it be The West Wing? Uh, yeah, and then I, I did one episode of um, It's Always Sunny. Yeah. Mm. And they have such, like, a... a Rabbit a following. Big, yeah, yeah, a big fan base that, that, that it's those two. <laughs> Okay, so you were on several episodes of one many I, years ago, yeah, and, just and then one, like episode one, one episode of one fairly recently, and that's the one you get asked about. And, well, and here's a funny story. So I, uh, so you played the wife on Dr. Ken's series, yes. which was great. <laughs> okay. Our friend okay. Dr. Ken, okay. who's a lovely person, and um, and I lost the role to you. What? And I was kind of like, you know, I was disappointed. I was like, oh man, Susie Nakamura, like she, like I, I feel like I lose roles to her a lot. Would that and be then, during pilot season? Yeah. Oh. And pilot then season. I actually, I this was a few years ago, and I, I did, I wasn't really familiar with your work, and I looked you up, and I was like, holy crap, this woman is an OG baller. You've been in the business for so long, and you were like. Like in the business when it was probably really annoying to be an Asian woman in the business, like you probably confronted. It wasn't a lot. annoying. It was just not. Not. It was. There was. It was non-existent. There yeah. was no Asian mm. roles. Yeah, and the roles that there were, you probably were like this BS, this racist BS. Come on now. It wasn't. You know what? It wasn't that bad. And to make you feel better, I got cut on Dr. Canton the first round. Really? So you got cast? And you got recast. I, yeah. But then they called me back. But yeah. I did get uh, cut, and I had to let it go, and then continue on with pilot season. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know what describes that? OG baller. Yeah. The OG baller. <laughs> yeah. Susie Nakamura, so happy to have you here. Helen, against whom will Susie be competing today? He is a television host who currently hosts Antiques Roadshow and Temptation Island. It's Mark L. Wahlberg. Mark L. Wahlberg. <laughs> Sprinting to the stage. Don't don't run. You don't have to run. Don't run. Take your time. Hi, Mark. Hi, everybody. Hi, Mark Wahlberg. Good. I see you both got the gray sweater memo Ooh, that we yeah. have sent out. We're at podcast prom. <laughs> it is. You, guys you look adorable. Like, you guys are like twinning. We're like casual when I, gray. When I tur- t- took my jacket off, Mark was like, oh, my God, we're wearing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> like every high school nightmare I've ever had. Oh, wow. Th- those are the worst nightmares you have about high school is wearing the, the same I sweater? share with you Okay, now. fair <laughs> enough. That makes yeah. more sense. Uh, now, obviously, your name is Mark L. Wahlberg. Do you ever get confused or have you ever been accidentally booked for a gig where they were expecting... Margaret Cho. <laughs> that happens all the time. All the time. I am definitely a, a Cho doppelganger. Uh, no, I, it only shows up in the most awkward ways, never to my benefit. Uh, when I want to get recognized, nobody knows who I am. And they're like, hey, man, you have the same name as an actor. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm like, no, no. The first I'm hearing of it. And uh, 
And I never am mistaken, in, although I was going to say I'm never mistaken in person, but I was doing an Antiques Roadshow event, and I showed up, and these two guys came up, like Uber fans of the show, and they're like, oh, Mr. Wahlberg, we're so glad you're here. So obviously they recognized me, and chat, chat, chat about, it, you know, Antiques Roadshow, and said, can I get an autograph? I said, sure, and then they handed me a picture of the other Mark Wahlberg. No. Oh, no! I'm like, do you have that, like, facial recognition disease wow. thing? Yeah. We don't look alike. Maybe they were just Not only at looking all. at the physique. It must have been. That must have been <laughs> Blinded well. by my abs, yeah. I think. Is what How did you get into hosting? You've had such a great hosting career. How did you first start? Well, after my several weeks of college, I decided... <laughs> the truth is, it was by default. I uh, moved out to California. I thought maybe being an actor would be a thing, but apparently you need to be talented for that. And uh, so I went to work in production at Dick Clark Productions. Okay. Uh, just as a runner, the oldest living PA ever. I actually had that same job. I worked in the mailroom at Dick Clark Productions okay. for a little while as well. Many people have graduated from that university. That's funny. And yet I'm, I'm hosting a podcast and you're on, you got two TV shows. Well, yeah, and, I'm sorry, go on. This is about you apparently. I was on the other side of the mailroom. But um, the warm-up guy didn't show up. And Dick said, get me the funny kid from the office. <gasps> no way! Yeah. Being and, funny in the office worked for you. Yes, and um, also because I was horrible in the office. Like, I wasn't good <laughs> at my job. That was my problem. I actually knew how to sort things in the yes, mailroom. I yeah. wasn't very good with the copy machine. So <laughs> yeah. he literally gave me a hug and said, you'll be fine. Just ask trivia questions and give away T-shirts. And I'd never seen anybody do warm-ups, so I just started doing what I do. Wow! That's like great. the Hollywood dream. It was pretty good. You it were... wasn't Schwab's on Vine, but it was pretty exciting. It, what a happy accident. But it was the, happy. But the fact that Dick Clark had faith in you just from seeing you around the office was like, that kid's funny. And we became close, and he was my mentor up until his death. Mm. Wow. And now I sit at his old desk working with his wife as a consultant for his production company. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. Thank you. Uh, yeah. See you guys. Suck at your job and be good at something else. That's right. And you will shine. <laughs> so you host a, a show called Temptation Island, which is hot people trying to hook up. It's community service for America to help them <laughs> yes. one couple at a time. Yes. I'm just doing my part. By the way, I think it's hilarious that you host both Antiques Roadshow and Temptation Island. And then there's Antiques Roadshow. That's range. Like, they could not be more different. Yes, I'm actually going to interview the Pope later, and then I will have it all covered. <laughs> uh, uh, is it a different skill set when you're, when you're doing a, a PBS show versus a USA uh, People in Bikini show? Uh, you know, the similarities are, are, you know, if you've ever watched Antiques Roadshow if you, and, and seen the Kino brothers in a bathing suit, it's very, very <laughs> tempting. I say, you know, the difference between acting and hosting. You know, acting uh, when you're good at it as you are brilliant at it. I, um, you, you, you assume a role that may not be you. Uh, for me, I have to assume authenticity. You know, mm. try to be as authentic as I can. And then, regardless of the setting, it's still me. Mm. The Mark Wahlberg that looks like Chris Harrison and has the name of the other famous guy. So <laughs> should clear everything up. So you can do that whether you're around antiques or around uh, couples trying to cheat on each other. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. another gig that you have, uh, you are a, one of the hosts of The Price is Right Live. That's right. That's got to be a great gig. I know you come from a game show background as well. The nerd part of me is I am a, a huge game show fan. Uh, I, I watched them since childhood. I love being a part of them. I've done several of them. I've been a contestant on several of them. You mm -hmm. have? I have. Did you do Prices Right? I didn't do Prices Right, uh, but I was on The Weakest Link as a, a last-minute fill-in on a talk show host version of it. Mm -hmm. And were you The Weakest Link? I won the damn show. <laughs> yeah. And a very quick story on this is sure. that the day of the show, I was a replacement. Somebody fell out. They called me like two days before. And as I'm on the phone talking to producers, my son, who's now grown but was young, is in the back chatting with me. And he goes, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, I'm on the phone, Morgan. He says, Dad, what's a million times a million? I'm like, Morgan, I don't know. And you've been asking me this for weeks, and you know I don't know. And he says, no, I'm telling you, I know what it is now. I asked my teacher. It's the number one followed by 12 zeros, and it's a trillion. I said, okay, whatever. Weakest link. No. Final question. Ah. She says to me, Mark Wahlberg, for the, for the win, what is the American word for the number one followed by 12 zeros? And I nearly said, you're shitting me. Oh, <laughs> I am about to say you're shitting me. And like, wow. I won. I, I'm mind yeah. blown. You know what? Maybe having children does have value. <laughs> That's the lesson I take from that. Bare minimum. That Bare was minimum. the okay, only return on investment I ever got. Did your son get a cut? Uh, he asked what the cut was, but I was playing for charity, so I said, you oh. get, you know, 50% of the karma. <laughs> Very good. All right, well, we're certainly fair. happy to have all of you. Marco Warburg, ladies Thank and gentlemen. You.
All right, Mark and Susie, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Mm -hmm. Susie, you said you know a lot about the Gutenberg Bible, yep. the city of Chicago, yep. and Instagram cats. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, Mark, you said you know a lot about the movie Pitch Perfect, <laughs> Moonshine, uh -huh. And ballet. I may miss. I may have misunderstood the assignment. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think going from moonshine to ballet—that's sort of the Temptation Island and Antiques Roadshow of topics. Again, range. Okay, yeah, yes. you got a lot of range. Well, later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. Oh God! But first. First, okay. let's panic about something else, let's because panic. it's time to get your thoughts on about something you might know nothing about. It's okay. time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We have one question Here for each go. of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you give an incorrect answer, the other person does have a chance to steal. Your topic today, mean. First up in mean, Susie. Susie, your topic today comes from a listener, Fred Snyder of Chicago, Illinois, who I went to grade school with. Fred. Thanks, Fred. Uh, <laughs> Susie, they both are ways to say something mean, but what is the difference between facetious and sarcastic? Facetious and sarcastic. Oh, my God. Mark has snapped his fingers, indicating perhaps his son looked it up for him long ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Susie, <laughs> it is up to you to give us He's the answer first. Friend. Uh, I'm going to say... Sarcastic mm -hmm. is a true statement said in a certain way, mm -hmm. and facetious is a uh, exaggerated statement. An exaggerated statement. Okay, interesting answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. Uh, Mark, if you don't think she's got it exactly right, you can try to steal. What do you think, Mark? Facetious is something that is fake, mm -hmm. and sarcastic would be almost pointing out the obvious by using the opposite. So, <laughs> okay. Well, this segment has been great. Really, really great, guys. <laughs> Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Yes, oh, Helen. Boy. Both facetious and sarcastic remarks are not meant literally, but there are differences. Facetious comes from a Latin word that means jest. Facetious remarks are intended mainly to be funny, especially about a serious situation, but are not meant to be hurtful. Sarcastic comes from a Greek word that means to tear flesh. Sarcastic. It's just far more funny. I think it's funnier. Sarcastic remarks are intended to be cutting and express disdain and are meant to be hurtful. How about an example, Helen? For example, if my date said, let's go play with cats for three hours, and I said, are you trying to kill me? That would be facetious because I'm be kidding. That would be a bad date. Yeah. <laughs> Not I, for me. I would love that. <laughs> I don't think he's trying to kill me. But if he still wanted to go and I said, wow, you're such a great person and so sensitive to my needs, that would be sarcastic because I'm disdainful of him being an idiot. That's right. Very good explanation. And again, if somebody wanted to go on a date with me and play with cats for three hours, look me up on Tinder. <laughs> I don't know if you can look up people on Tinder, but either way, find me. Uh, all right. What does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? Um, yeah. I, I, I don't think either one I of you yeah, that I don't right. think either Are you going to sarcastically right. award points yeah. and then take yeah. them away? Yeah, Helen, you're really going to give them a yeah. lot of points, aren't you? Great job on that. <laughs> that is really fun. Yeah. All right, no points there. But up next in mean is Mark. Mark, they're both used to say something about data, but what is the difference between a mean and a median? A mean and a median. Huh. Okay, a mean and a median. That is the topic, yes. Yes. So... Uh, listen, I, I think the mean is the expected norm of a situation, of, of a condition, and the median might be more the average. I really am grabbing at straws. Yeah, I okay, but those are the straws that you've grabbed. I've grabbed those straws, <laughs> and yes. I'm going to and stab myself with them in the <laughs> eye. All right, well, yeah. please wait until after the show to stab okay. yourself. Uh, we do have Mark's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Susie, what do you think? I think the mean is the average, where you add up all the numbers and divide it by the... the and divide it by the numbers, number of numbers, okay. and the, me, the that and that's the mean, and the yeah. median is the higher concentration of a number. The oh. higher concentration of a number. What does that mean? <laughs> Where? Well, yeah, I I agree with. I, agree I, with I, I would I would like to agree. I don't quite understand. What do you mean the higher so concentration like you, of a number? You, uh, if you're taking a sample like, of a lot of stuff, the the number the where thing that's represented the, the most is the median. Is the represented the most is the median. Yes. All right. And you got an assist from Mark, which is very rare in a competitive yeah. uh, game, but we certainly yeah. appreciate that. All right. Well, this segment has fallen below average. Let's go to Helen Hong <laughs> at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. The mean of a set of numbers is the same as the average. A total of those numbers divided by the number of items in that set. 
The median of a set of numbers is that number where half the numbers are lower and half the numbers are higher. For example, if I buy two boxes of Girl Scout cookies for you. Oh, thank you. Two for Susie. Thank you. Two for Mark. Thank you. Two for our live sound engineer, Dave. Thank you. And a hundred for me. What? The mean is 27. But the median is two, because in the series of two, 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 and a hundred, the number in the middle is two. And by the way, I am buying a hundred boxes for myself. The very generous Helen Hong. Samosas. Samoa, Samoa, Samoa. Oh, you like the Samoa? Really? Delicious. All right. Well, that is right. Sometimes the median and the median are the same. It really depends on the set of numbers. What does that mean as far as our scoring goes, Helen? I think that's one point for Susie. I think it is as well. Susie is on the board. What is our score at the end of that first round? At the end of the first round, Susie Nakamura has one point and Mark L. Wahlberg has zero points. Those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, it's Janet Varney of the JV Club Podcast, and I am so excited to be joining Maximum Fun. If you're not yet familiar with the JV Club, it's a podcast with me and some of my favorite women, and in the summer, men, as we explore the highs and lows of our terrible teenage years into what I like to call our adult lessons. For example, you can hear about Allison Bree's humiliating moment at a gymnastics competition. You can hear about Jesse Thorne's incredibly salty language in English class. Or let Busy Phillips tell you how she met Sharon Stone at an Arizona toy fair, somehow. You can join me and all my once awkward friends every Thursday by subscribing to the JV Club at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Susie Nakamura with one point and Mark L. Wahlberg with zero points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Helen. Susie, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the Gutenberg Bible, the city of Chicago, and Instagram cats. Let's learn a little bit more about each. First, you said you know a lot about the Gutenberg Bible. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I know a lot about it, but I have uh, an, an affection, an interest in the Gutenberg Bible. And where does Why? that affection come Why? from? Yeah. I, I, you know what? It was a reference I remember years ago, and I didn't know what it was, so I looked it up, and it, it sounded interesting to look at because it's an, an illuminated manuscript from the 15th century. Hmm. And, Wait, uh, you just like wikied it and then went down a weird rabbit hole? Uh, well, there was back then there was no internet, so Whoa. I... <laughs> Uh, and you then I thought, well, you I, speak of biblical times. But we yes. had the, you know, we had the Newberry Library in Chicago. We did, yes. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go look at one. I realized. Wait a minute, you actually went physically to a place to learn about a topic? That's ridiculous. That's so no, old. I'm impressed. These what? kids today don't understand I'm about that. I'm 175 years old. No, you're not. You don't look a day over 174. Uh, well, I realized there weren't any Gutenberg Bibles in Chicago, so then it became like sort of this quest to go look at one to see what it looked like. <gasps> And um, I was in Austin, Texas doing a movie, and I heard there was one at the University of Texas. Mm -hmm. So I went and looked at it. And? And it was amazing. Really? And then when I moved out to California, I realized there was one in California at the Huntington Library. So I went and, go, I went and looked at that. I can't, you can't look at the whole thing. It's mm -hmm. just basically in a plexiglass case, and it's oh. open to one page. Mm -hmm. I thought it was like Disneyland, and you need two days to experience <laughs> it. Pretty much. And, you know, so you can only see one page. But then I realized that there's um, four in New York. So mm. I went into the Morgan Library, and I looked what? at that one. And the New York City Library has three of them, but they don't have them on display, so you can only look at one at a time. So I'm just trying to look at, I'm just trying to see as many Gutenberg Bibles as I can. Wow! I can't say I know a lot about them, but... I think you're being modest. You obviously know quite, quite a bit. You've, <laughs> you know, you've, if you've looked at a lot of them, you certainly looked at more than I have. I've looked, I've looked at a lot of them, yeah. but I mean... I, well, looking is the same thing as knowing, the same don't you thing think? as knowing. I yeah. am, you're right. I am an expert. What, All right. what a weird, fun obsession. Like, it's, it's, I don't think I've ever met anyone who is, like, obsessed with the Gutenberg Bible. Am I obsessed? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm traveling the country to look at one page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I yeah. See no, it now. We I celebrate obsession of things here on this show, so we're happy to hear that. All right. Next, Susie, you said you know a lot about the city of Chicago. Chicago. Well, I'm born and raised wow. in the city of Chicago. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Is someone from Chicago? I, uh, I am. That's right. Nope. Okay, you don't care. All right, you <laughs> care about that guy in the audience. <laughs> I, I get it. Well, 
mean, yeah. I know you. Oh, okay. You didn't know those people, though. Uh, yeah. So I yes. don't know. If I, again, I don't know if I know a lot about the city, but I was born and raised there, and we have sort of as a, a unique civic pride. Yes. About living there or growing up there, and and we learn a lot about the city. Uh, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful city. I thought everyone had that. I thought everyone had the flag of their city tattooed on their body, and then I. And then I realized when when you travel to different cities, oh no, not everyone feels that way no. about like Duluth or Cleveland mm-hmm. or Poughkeepsie. It's a town that has self-esteem. Yeah, it's 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 definitely like it, there's a, a unique perspective growing up there. It's sort of like you're part of this community and it it, it contributes to your identity and your character and it, it it's a part of who you are. Terrific, and therefore you've, you've, you've maybe absorbed knowledge I about it. I hope I've absorbed knowledge All right, about and then it. finally you said you know a lot about Instagram cats. Yes. <laughs> That's the one that makes you smile. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I don't know. I just like looking at cats and pictures of cats, and Instagram is, a, is an app for pictures of cats. So I like <laughs> Do you have a favorite uh, Instagram cat account? Um, I have a lot of favorite Instagram. Uh, okay, I... Is your IG feed just cat after cat after cat after cat? Because that's hot. Kind of. Kind. Well, I, I I don't know. I don't know why I like looking at cats. But you do. I think, I think there was actually a study that like petting a cat or looking a cat lowers your blood pressure. Yeah. It relaxes you. Yeah. There's something about their purring or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's another thing where like its feces makes you crazy. So that could be a, a, a factor. I don't know. <laughs> all right. But maybe I, I don't want to spend three hours then uh, petting them on a date. Uh, all right. So to summarize, Susie, you said you know a lot about the Gutenberg Bible, the city of Chicago, and Instagram cats. Today we want to quiz you about okay. the Gutenberg Bible. Oh, so excited. There was part of me that thought, like, will I meet little bub today? <laughs> like, will I Lil meet bub grumpy cat? Let please? me tell you something. I am not a cat person. I am deathly allergic, but I am obsessed with little bub. Like, <sighs> do you guys know little bub? He's a cat oh on, on Instagram. Oh, my God. He's, he's like, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's a special needs cat. Oh, she, my. Lil bub is she, a she. She. A special needs cat. Again, today we want to quiz you about the Gutenberg Bible. <laughs> uh, uh, now, Susie, how do you feel about the text itself? Do you enjoy reading the Bible? Do you like the Bible itself, or do you just like the story or the aesthetic of, I, of the I Gutenberg just, itself? I, I guess what's intriguing to me is that that you know is the process that it was you know it's sort of like the beginning of the era of printed printed books, but also um, the work. Of, of any illuminated, illuminated manuscript is sort of like they do the manuscript, but then they have some artists come in and they add stuff and they make the first letter of each paragraph this huge, you know, like mm-hmm. there, there's an art to it. And I, 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 what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> do you like the text of the Bible itself? Does that mean anything to you or is it more the aesthetic and the story well, of I the Gutenberg? Well, I grew up Buddhist, so anything that has to do with like, you know, the Bible or other religions just sort of fascinates me. Okay. Mm. Uh, and I can sort of approach it, I think, more objectively than a person who's Catholic or Christian oh, yeah. or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. just so I can look at it as a work of art. Um, and not like as like things you were beat up over when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. I'm not, tra- <laughs> for instance, I'm, a random I'm not traumatized for by the Bible like so many others. Uh, All right, well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the, Sorry. Traumatized by the Bible, Traumatized y'all. by the Bible, we've got um, one, two, two I've out of four. I've got a little PTS Bible tea. Okay. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the Gutenberg Bible to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions, Susie, each worth one point. If you want to, you're allowed to hint for any two of the five questions. Now, Mark, do listen closely, because if Susie answers incorrectly, you can can steal. steal. Yeah, Mark, by the way, how much do you know about the Gutenberg Bible? As a Jew raised in uh, South Carolina... Not I know that Gutenberg pressed, and the Bible is a terrific book and, a, yeah. and several good movies, so let's go. All right, here we go. Here's question number one for Susie about the Gutenberg Bible. Susie, in what country was the Gutenberg Bible printed? Germany. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> why do you suppose that was, Susie? Uh, wh- why? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 Gutenberg was German. I think that's what the answer we were looking for as well. Yeah. All right, uh, question number two. In what language was the Gutenberg Bible printed? Uh, I believe it was printed in, there was, uh, di- there's different versions of it, um, but I believe it's all Latin. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. 
Susie is two for two. Nice. Uh, fun fact, the Latin word for Bible is vulgate or vulgate or mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, yeah. And that is often you what... You went the to Latin. I did go to the Latin school of Chicago. Jay Keith went to a school called Latin. Right. But you know what we didn't study? No. The Bible. <laughs> no. Or, or Latin, really. Uh, you're two for two, Susie. Here's question number three. Most copies of the Gutenberg Bible were printed on paper, you know, like a book. But very high-end copies were printed on pages made from what? Vellum. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. Vellum or parchment or different animal skins. Uh, fun fact, the word vellum has the same root as the word veal because calf skin was often used. Ah. Sheepskin was another common source of vellum, which is why fancy diplomas are still often referred to as sheepskins, even though they're still uh, printed on paper wow. nowadays. Uh, oh. You did not ask for the hint in that question, but I know Helen was dying to give it. If you had needed the hint, Helen, what would that hint have been? <laughs> oh. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Helen Hong. Thank you. Pilot season, guys. Pilot season, ladies and gentlemen. Pilot season. Pilot season. Uh, Susie, you're three for three. Here's question number four. Okay. Most copies of the Gutenberg Bible have red or sometimes blue marks that were added by hand to the printed text. From the Latin for to color red, what is this hand-inscribed process called? Oh, uh, that these are the guys that like went in afterwards and like added the D, right? Yeah, so we're looking oh, for uh, what the process like... called is of adding... Uh, red or blue text to it. You it's do have a hint a if you'd it's like It's a to. Latin word, and it starts with, like, it, it, he's like, a, it's not render. I'll take a hint. Helen, how about that first hint? It's one letter off from the process of adding oil to machinery. Boobricating. Just kidding. That's not my answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's one letter off right. from adding oil mm -hmm. to a machine. Machine. Correct. Uh, uh... Oh. You're on the right track with your joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay, I'm just going to go with uh, 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 zubricating. Is it zubricating, Helen? <laughs> it is not Not zubricating. Mark with a chance to steal. I'm going to guess it has something to do with rubric. Is it rubricate? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. <laughs> what a steal Mark. from Mark. Great use of the hints. The process is called rubrication. Rubrication. Oh. Very good steal, Mark. Uh, fun fact, the phrase Red Letter Day comes to us because rubrication indicated that certain text was important or highlighted, and that process was carried over to calendars, giving us important Red Letter wow. Days. Uh, all right, Susie, back to you. Let's see if you can bounce back with question number five. I've never been so happy that someone stole a point. Yeah, that was a I'm very so impressive like steal, Mark. This is my academic pinnacle. This yeah. is the best I've ever done academically right now. <laughs> Susie, before he began printing Bibles, Gutenberg was involved in a lawsuit involving mementos for religious pilgrims. Historians theorize that he lost a lot of money manufacturing these items that supposedly could capture sacred light that emanated from holy relics. What were these items that allowed pilgrims to take blessed light home with them? Hmm. I have... Uh... You do have a second hint available if you'd oh, like I'll it. I'll take the hint. Helen, how about that second hint? Justin Timberlake had a number one hit song with this title in 2013. I have no, I, 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 well, I know he died in debt, so I know they didn't sell well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say it's like um, Statues of the Virgin Mary. Helen, is it Statues of the Virgin Mary? It is not Statues no, of the Virgin Mary. Steal. Let's see if you can figure this one out, rubrication. Well, it's either... Mm -hmm. Some sort of glass prism or a looking glass of some sort. I'm going to say a magnifying glass. Helen, was it a magnifying glass? It is not a magnifying glass. No, but pretty close. Glass. It was actually mirrors. There were oh, mirrors, mirrors that he made. Mirrors. Uh, fun fact, they actually were called pilgerspiegels oh, or those... pilgrim mirrors. And some historians speculate that Gutenberg made a whole bunch of them for a specific pilgrimage that was called off due to plague and flood, and he was left holding them and uh, ran out of money. Oh, no. He That's... should have sold them as, like, you know, like makeup mirrors. Yes, for all of the makeup they wore in the 15th yeah. century. Yeah. Same thing happened with the fire festival, I think. Yes, it was <laughs> a very strange, very strange yeah. similar story. Uh, all right, uh, Susie, you did pretty well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires oh. multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Okay. <laughs> Here we, whoa, what's up? Yeah, they know. Uh, the question is so high level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The okay. answer is worth up to three points. I'm so not an expert. Susie, I think you're going to do pretty well in this one. Susie, there are three copies of the Gutenberg Bible here in the U.S. that are printed on vellum and are substantially complete, each in a different location. For up to three points, what are those three locations? 
So I know that there's a vellum copy at the uh, Library of Congress. The Library of Congress, okay. I know there's a vellum copy at the New York Public Library. New York Public Library, all right. And there is one more. Yes. I believe the copy at the Huntington Library is also at, on vellum. All right, so you're going to say, uh, to summarize, it was the New York Public Library, the yeah. Library of Congress, and the Huntington Library. Yeah. All right, well, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have today? Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Here with us tonight is an award-winning bibliographer who is the rare book curator at the Huntington Library. What? It's Stephen Tabor. Stephen Tabor, ladies and gentlemen. Susie squealing with delight, applauding. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Mr. Tabor. Hello. Hello, Stephen. So nice to meet you. Susie is beaming and very excited to meet it's you. Like, it's like a human lil bub. <laughs> yeah. we, we call that a person, Susie. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, but, I, but I'm sitting next to him. I think he is purring. So. <laughs> There's a lot of excitement on this stage. Uh, Stephen, uh, Helen referred to you as an award-winning bibliographer. What exactly is a bibliographer? Well, a bibliographer, in my case, is somebody who specializes in... Uh, old books and specifically the physical characteristics of them. Okay. So you're not writing bibliographies, you're caring for, caring for books. I have done both. Oh, okay. So that's just a happy coincidence. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Huntington and the rare book collection there. The Huntington Library began as the personal collection of Henry Huntington, who uh, lived from 1850 to 1927. And um, when he died, it uh, became a public institution in the sense that readers uh, working on academic projects were welcome to come and consult the collection. Uh, it's been open since then. Uh, we are on a private endowment. Uh, we're nowhere near as rich as people think we are. <laughs> I get that same problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and what do you do as curator? As curator, I'm overseeing the rare books, meaning in the sense that I don't specialize in the contents so much as in the physical aspects of them. Uh, a lot of the inquiries I get from um, around the world are, do you have what I have? Uh, rare books are complicated things. They get, uh, they, they get different from each other as time goes on, mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes they get different in, in confusing ways. Now, Susie had mentioned that she had been to the Huntington to look at the Gutenberg, so it's no spoiler to say you actually have a Gutenberg Bible there. That is correct. And I understand you brought it here today. What? what? <laughs> Oh, no, I was grossly misinformed, it turned out. Uh, apparently, it's worth, uh, it's priceless and uh, easily I love that you started looking in your, yeah. in your pockets. That was a very nice, that's a very nice yes and, which Susie uh, will appreciate from improv background. So is it, is, it in, is it in a glass case and it's, there's no oxygen allowed to touch it, that kind of thing? Uh, not quite that high tech, but it's so large that we have two volumes. Ooh. And one lives where I'm not going to tell you, and the other one lives on public view at all times. Wow. And, and, and have you actually physically handled the uh, the Gutenberg Bible there? I did uh, as late as this week. I had a reference question about the Bible. What? And what do you have to do? What kind of precautions do you have to take to handle the book but not damage it? Gloves. Um, let, let him answer. It's not it's not as simple as gloves, is it? Is it? Is it really just gloves? No, we don't use gloves. Those oh, they don't you use clumsy. gloves, Helen. You use what? No. Um, you would just be very careful. It's, uh, it's a big big, heavy book. It can take care of itself pretty well. But really, that's the whole instruction to someone is, hey, hey, hey well, be a little careful. <laughs> well, if it's uh, going to someone else, I sit uh, there with them. Oh, okay, fair Wait, enough. Wait, you don't use gloves? Not for books. Why is that? Because that, that actually is something I in all seriousness. Like I would have, yeah, every gloves. movie they show a librarian handling a, a paper with uh, gloves. You gloves at the Newberry Library. Yeah, well, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Tell, uh, <laughs> well, if you're handling a book, gloves make you clumsy. And you end up causing oh. more damage than oh. without. Very interesting. You look at an old book, the part that's fallen apart is around the spine, and gloves aren't really going to help with that. Yeah. Wow. And uh, you're still learning about the book, even though you've, you've been with it for a long time. Yes. Uh, people may think of it as kind of an inert relic and something to go on public display, but I've literally had two reference questions about it in the last couple of weeks, um, really going back to the basics and reevaluating what we thought was true, mm. which it turns out is not. So, so, you, so you just get random calls and people are like, so on page 12, does it yeah, really say... What's a typical say... kind of question that you get? <laughs> well, that's not so far off. Oh. There are parts of the Bible that were set twice because they raised the edition size partway through and they had to reprint the earlier ones. Mm. And we thought that we had edition two on three pages. Turns out we have edition one on three pages. Mm. Ooh. So that's something that uh, was, was 
you know, a mistake from 1920 or so. Wow. Wow. Uh, and how did Huntington end up having a Gutenberg Bible? Um, Huntington was trying to grow the best collection he could in a short period of time. He started really later in life when he was nearing retirement. This was the greatest book that came up for sale probably in his lifetime. <gasps> and he paid a record price for it, $50,000. Wow. And what would it go for today? Well, Mark, you'll be interested in this as an Antiques Roadshow host. Well, I'm, I'm riveted already. <laughs> the, uh, the word priceless has already been used, and that mm. really is pretty appropriate because there are no, no cops. Yeah. There are no yeah. cops. There weren't a lot of copies printed on vellum. Yeah. There was a, you know, so the fact that it's on vellum, the fact that I believe it's complete, because a lot of the Bibles were like sort of, you know, people would sell pages, and mm -hmm. there's oh. different, you know, so the, there's not a lot of complete ones left. There's not a lot of ones on vellum left. So, uh, yeah, priceless. Yeah. Does, it, does it smell like sheep? It has a very good smell. I, I haven't smelled the sheep before. It doesn't, doesn't smell like a live sheep. It may <laughs> smell like pleasant sheep. Yes, it's very possible. At least a pleasant sweater. Maybe. Uh, all right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Susie. We wanted to know where in the U.S. can you find the three substantially complete copies of the Gutenberg Bible printed on vellum. Helen, what was the first answer that Susie gave? Susie said the New York Public Library. And Mr. Tabor? That is not a vellum copy. And oh, if it is, sorry. it's not... Morgan uh, Library. Morgan Library, oh, Morgan you Library got. is correct. Oh, yes. oh you, you knew it somewhere. You said earlier. Your you had said yeah. I saw that. You saw that. Okay, so no point there. Uh, Helen, what was the second location that Susie said? Susie said Library of Congress. That is right. That is right. That's a point for Susie. And finally, what was the third location that Susie said? Susie said the Huntington Library. Oh, that is right. That is correct as well. Susie, is there anything you'd like to say or ask of uh, Mr. Tabor while we have him here? Is it true that when they first printed it, it was 40 lines, and then in the middle of printing, they changed it to 42 lines? They started with 40, and after a few pages, they went to 41. And oh, then, 40. as a cost cutter, they settled on 42, and that's why it's known to the experts as the 42-line Bible. Oh. oh so, wait, in the, so if you have a complete copy, the first couple pages are 40 lines, and then more pages are 41, and then, more, and then the rest that's is 42? That's right. It all took place pretty fast because they were trying to cut costs. And how long would it take to print a complete Bible? I wish we knew that. That's a really good question. It took years. There's still so much to learn about it. And if people want to learn more about it and, and find out more about you or your work, where can they go? What I would recommend, there's a publication about two years old by Eric White called Editio Princeps. And it tells you as much as is known just about, about every copy of the Bible. And that's what I had to go to to cram mm -hmm. for this, uh, this event. <laughs> <laughs> and if people I want to uh, come and look at the Gutenberg Bible at the Huntington, where can they go for information? Uh, they can go to the website, um, and or they can just come on uh, Tuesday through Saturday, and uh, and uh, we'll show it to them. You Excellent. Can see it. You can see it. It's on display, and it's That's beautiful. right. The Huntington Library, for those who don't know, is, uh, is in San Marino, California, which is in Los Angeles County, not very far from here. We're certainly happy that you joined us, everybody. Stephen Tabor. Thank you. Hello, Stephen Tabor. <laughs> Helen, let's get a score recap at the end of that round. At the end of that round, Susie Nakamura has six points, and Mark L. Wahlberg has one point with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Mark about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Mark and Susie will go head-to-head -head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. so much to the over 28,000 members who joined or upgraded during the 2019 Max Fund Drive and to all of our monthly members. To celebrate hitting our goal this year, we're putting the 2019 Max Fund Drive pins on sale for all $10 and up monthly members. As in past years, you'll be able to get some pins and support a great cause at the same time. The proceeds from this year's sale will support the National Court Appointed Special Advocates Association. National CASA does amazing work for children and youth through a national network of 950 member programs. We are proud to be able to support them. The pin sale will run from April 29th until May 10th. And if you're a $10 and up monthly member, your personalized code is waiting in your inbox right now. For more details, you can head over to MaximumFun.org slash pins. And once again, thank, thank you. you. Welcome back 
to go fact yourself where our score is Susie Nakamura with six points and Mark L. Wahlberg with one point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Helen. Mark, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the movie Pitch Perfect, Moonshine, and Ballet. Let's find out a little bit more about each. Mark, first, you said you know a lot about the movie Pitch Perfect. Tell yes. us about that. I'm, I'm very close with my kids, my, my son and my daughter. My son's 27, my daughter's 23, and this is one of our like go-to guilty pleasure movies. Wow. Plus, and I will admit this on podcast, mm-hmm. that I was a show choir kid. Oh. Yes. And so there's a connection, I feel, with the Bellas. Okay. That <laughs> harkens back to a simpler time. And don't judge me for that. I, no judgment here. Uh, one of our previous guests, uh, uh, Sashir Zameda, uh, knew it, was in show choir, actually chose that as one of her topics. So. Is that right? Yeah, you're in, you're in good company. So tell yes. us, what, what is it that you love about the movie so much? Well, first of all, the harmonies are transcendent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Anna Kendrick is, is a god. And Rebel Wilson is terrific. And, and the troublemakers are an added bonus. So, I mean, I... I almost feel like um, you're making fun of me that I should have to break it down because not doesn't everyone no know how great No one's making fun of you. No one's making fun of you. No, everybody's on board. This is a safe place. I think we all enjoy Pitch Perfect. Yeah. So yeah. Susan Cain, yeah. Pitch Perfect. Okay, now maybe you're going, okay. Uh, Mark, you also said you know a lot about Moonshine. See, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> I was on the road doing The Price is Right and uh, I was laying, watching TV and flipping through the channels in a hotel and I watched Moonshiners. And I'm from South Carolina, I'm Southern, and I like to do DIY stuff. And I saw them making Moonshine in the Woods and I thought to myself, you know, if these guys could do this and I have YouTube and I can read, I can do this as well. Yeah. So I started... Allegedly making uh, moonshine in wow. an undisclosed location. Oh, illegally. okay, yeah. So, no, is it still illegal to, to make your own uh, alcohol? I haven't checked the statute, right. but I'm going to assume it is. All right. You're and allowed to brew beer. That okay. You can make brew, uh, you I would think beer. so. I think the distilling thing gets, takes it another notch. I think maybe you can to some small okay. batch. But well, if you had made moonshine, how did it turn out? Uh, if I had, yeah. it was uh, delicious. Oh, really? And plentiful, and uh, possibly sitting in a quart jar in my backyard as we speak. Wow. Allegedly, allegedly impossible. Yes. All right, finally, you said you know a lot about ballet. I do because my daughter is a professional ballerina, and I really just chose the topic so I could brag about my children. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, tell us about what, how. So in other words, you've, you've learned about ballet because so, you've taken her to classes, well, you've so, studied yes, it with her. You have to understand that my... my Mother-in-law owned a dancing school. She was a vaudevillian uh, dance acrobatic uh, performer. Wow. She owned a dancing school. My wife was, is and was a professional dancer on Broadway. Wow. And then our daughter was born, and she became a classical bunhead, as we call her. Uh-huh. So while I spent all my uh, young parenting times going with my son to baseball games, at some point it switched to going to ballet, which I saw no difference in the, you know, how to create, you know, uh, psychiatric problems with your children by being an overparent. <laughs> so I would be there sewing her point shoes and hanging out, and I found that uh, classical ballet is much like athletics. Uh, these are professional athletes. There's structure to a ballet. I, I find it fascinating. The music fascinating. It's romantic and beautiful, and, 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 um, and my daughter's good at it, so... Wow. I'm down for the ballet world. What a great you job know, between, as well. Between your wife, who's a dancer, and your daughter, who's a dancer, and you did show choir, your, your house must be really fun and entertaining. Yeah, that's what it is. It's fun and entertaining and not at all uh, dysfunctional or <laughs> um, hunger for Don't attention. Don't forget the moonshine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe. Uh... But case of point to that, with all that going on, my son ended up being a Navy pilot. He's like, I don't want anything to do with this. I want to know I'm fed and I have clothes. Uh, all right, so to summarize, you said you know a lot about the movie Pitch Perfect, Moonshine, and Ballet. Today we're going to quiz you about ballet. Oh, thank yeah. God. Uh, do you have a favorite ballet? Do I have a favorite ballet? I, I You know, I... Unfortunately, if you're the father of a ballerina, you see the Nutcracker so many <laughs> times. But I love the Nutcracker, okay. and I, I love Sleeping Beauty, and she's performing tonight in Lady of the Camellias, which I don't know, but that's a beautiful ballet. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I find the... I, what is really weird is that everything classical, like the old pedipaw, the old classical ballet stuff is what I love the most. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic to test your mastery in the subject. I can't wait. Is Brishnikov here? <laughs> but before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions. Susie, do listen closely because you can steal if Mark gets any of them wrong. By the way, Susie, how much do you know about ballet? 
I was a ballet dancer for 10 years. Wow. Oh, all right, Mark, Susie. you might have some competition. A student, a student, a student. A ballet student, all right. Student. And you're, you're looking for revenge for that rubrication uh, question, I, I know. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mark, here's your first question about ballet. Maybe the most famous living ballet dancer, he was with the Kirov Ballet in Leningrad, defected, then became the principal dancer for the New York Ballet and later the artistic director of the American Ballet Theater. He was also nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Who is he? Uh, well, his friends call him Misha. But, but for our listeners... Barishnikov. Barishnikov. Helen? That is that correct. That is correct, Mikhail Barishnikov. Uh, fun fact, he was Oscar-nominated for The Turning Point and played one of Carrie's boyfriends in Sex in the City. Yes, he did. Which, unfortunately, most of our listeners probably know him from. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he was a no, bad he was really boyfriend. Great. He was a bad boyfriend, very yeah. good actor, great dancer. All right. Here's question number two. Ballet originated in the Renaissance courts of what country? It originated in the Italian Renaissance and then went to France. So it originated, so it originated in, in Italy. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Boom. Boom. Fun, yeah, fun fact. It was brought to France by Catherine de' Medici. That's uh, right. That's, and that's why it has many French terms associated with it. All right, you're two for two, Mark. Here's question number three. Ballet has five basic positions for feet and arms. If both arms are raised up high, almost vertically, and held slightly forward of the head... What position are you in? Fifth. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, fifth position. <laughs> um, all right, you're three for three. Here's question number four. What is the term for the ballet move in which the dancers pay respect to and acknowledge the teacher and accompanist in class or the applause of the crowd? The answer is reverence. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, reverence. Wow. And it's... I, if I must, one of the things I love about ballet is that it's so steeped in tradition. And I love the fact that, first of all, a ballet class has a pianist playing live. And at the end of it, the entire class bows a, a reverence to the pianist wow. and to the teacher. And I just love that. And that's then they so, beat him with a stick. So that's, that's so Asian. Great. That's Russian ballet. <laughs> yeah. Mark, you're a four for four. You have a chance to go five for five with this question. According to the Library of Congress, in 1937, who became the first dancer to perform at the White House? 1937. Yes. You do have a hint available if you'd like to use a hint. I'll take my hint, please. Helen, how about that first hint? She was also there in 1973 to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. DeMille? Helen, is it DeMille? It is not DeMille. Not DeMille. Susie with a chance to steal. Uh, Maria Tallchief. Um, it was a Maria Tolchief. It was not Maria No, the correct Tolchief. answer is Martha Graham. Martha Graham. Martha Graham. I was, was, was yes. kind of close. Yes, very you close, but not quite she was a ballet right. dancer before she was a modern dancer. That's right. Well, that was a question number five. That was difficult. You still did very well in that round, Mark. But now... Thank you. Thank you. Now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. I'm feeling clustered. Mark, here in Los Angeles, the city's own and only professional classical ballet company is called Los Angeles Ballet. Yes. In their current season, they are performing a seminal ballet piece called Serenade, as well as a different ballet that they have performed in every season they have existed. So, for up to three points, who was the original choreographer for Serenade? Who was the composer of the music for Serenade? And what is the only ballet that L.A. Ballet has performed in every season of its existence? I'd like to take the third part first, please. As you wish. Uh, the third part would be the Nutcracker. Okay. Uh, the choreographer would be uh, Petipa. Petipa, all right. And I'm going to guess Tchaikovsky, but I don't know. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have today? Here with us tonight is a ballet teacher and the principal dancer with the L.A. Ballet. It's Bianca Buell. Bianca Buell, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Bianca. Hello. So nice to meet you and have you here. Please uh, really talk right into that mic. About this. I, know. I know. Mark's very excited too. We love making our guests excited. Mark, please do not touch the ballerina. Okay. Uh, Bianca, how long have you been a ballet dancer and how long have you been with the LA Ballet? I have been a dancer since I was six years old. I started as a little wee one. And I've been with the Los Angeles Ballet for uh, nine years now. Wow. And Mark, you actually have done some uh, work for the ballet. Anything they ask me to do, I'm happy to do. Yes, you hosted uh, some uh, charity events. Their, uh, yes. their uh, gala events to raise money for the ballet. Uh, you, Los Angeles doesn't support ballet the way other cities do. Now, uh, Bianca, uh, people listening uh, can hear that you uh, do not have an American accent. Where are you from and how did you come to, to be in the U.S.? I understand it was because of dance. Yes, it was. I'm uh, Australian. 
Australian. So I, at 16, I moved to New York to train at the School of American Ballet, which mm -hmm. is the New York City Ballet's affiliate school. And I studied there for two years before I was then uh, given a quarter ballet contract with Los Angeles Ballet. So nine years down the track, I've made it to principal and Excellent. still here. And I yeah. just remembered that I got one answer wrong and I know what the right answer is. All right, well, we'll get to that. Uh, now, I refer to you as a ballerina. Is, is that a, an appropriate term to call someone a ballerina as opposed yeah. to ballet dancers or any controversy ballerina fraught with there? Ballerina sounds more posh. It really does, I like it a lot. And what does it mean to, to, to become the principal dancer? So it's the highest ranking in the company. There's a quarter ballet member and then soloist and then principal dancer. Do you call men ballerinas? Oh, good follow-up. A uh, ballerino. Oh, a ballerino. Hey, a ballerino over here. <laughs> but, but to make sure that you're clear, to become a principal or soloist in a ranked company mm -hmm. is harder than becoming a starting pitcher in the major leagues. Wow. It's an incredible feat. So when you see someone like this who is dancing roles of the L.A. Ballet, you have to know that that grind to get there mm. is greater than any... It's, it's like, like being be an astronaut. It's like being a, a, the greatest athlete and not getting paid nearly what the greatest mm. athletes get wow. and working twice as hard. So my, my hat... Wow. And Thank uh, you. <laughs> yes. And, and some would say it makes us look good for having her here. That, yeah, 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 all right. That's probably not what it's about, apparently. Very Props. Uh, now, you also teach uh, as part of the LA Ballet as well. Tell us about uh, that. Yes, I'm a faculty member of the Los Angeles Ballet School, mm -hmm. and I teach private lessons on the side for kids that need a little extra help and one-on-one and uh, uh, ballet workshops. And, and are you still learning yourself? Are you st do you still have to, have to practice and, and learn new techniques? Every day, yeah. We rehearse whatever role we're uh, performing in the next upcoming show we perform we've rehearsed that every single day until except for the weekends but every day until the show is ready to go so your your toes constant. must be so on point uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh, guys no all right yeah uh, well when you get to the when you get to the uh, I, I'm trying to avoid saying point but I can't think of another word when you get to the point where you can stand on point is is, is that a momentous day in a ballerina's uh, career in life how long does that yes. take to get it's to like that? It's like the ballet equivalent of a bar mitzvah. Is, is it really? Yes. Do, you get, do you get presents and, and uh, have to give a speech? It depends how lucky you are with okay. your family. <laughs> but it's horrible for the father. Because at that point, you now have to buy point shoes like every month and they're oh, expensive. Yeah. 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 And they're made out of, point shoes are made out of almost paper mache. So they break down very, very quickly. There's, there's not... There are point shoes that are made to last long, but they don't give your foot the accessibility that you need to dance. That's oh, amazing. Wow. Mar Mark mentioned being a, a father to, to a ballerina. Uh, how, how involved was your family, and, and what kind of support does it take for a family to support someone uh, trying to get to your level? My uh, brother and sister are the reason why I started ballet in the first place. Um, There's seven years gap. I'm the youngest kid, so I watched them for many years, and my mom said, until you're six years old, you cannot start ballet. <laughs> so I waited until I was six, and then I finally got my chance, and I never stopped. Um, but they've been incredibly supportive. Neither of them are in ballet, and my parents were not in ballet either, so I don't know where how it stuck, but... Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a great journey in That's moving to uh, the U.S. Uh, terrific. All right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked yeah. of Mark. We want to know first, uh, who was the original choreographer for Serenade, which L.A. Ballet is performing I, this season? I, Helen, I, what did... Helen! But what, I feel so Helen, bad about did, this. Helen, what did Mark say that he now regrets? Mark said Petty Paw. And uh, is that correct, Bianca? No. No, what is the correct answer? Mark or Bianca? Well, it's a much more modern ballet. It's more, more present than Petty Paw. And so it was, she's from School of American Ballet, which was founded by, it's New York City Ballet's feeder, and Balanchine is the guy. And I should have That's said correct. Balanchine. Right, that is yes. correct. All right, no point there, but you did, you did know that. All right, next we wanted to know who was the composer for Serenade. Helen, what did Mark say? Mark said Tchaikovsky. And Bianca? Correct. That is correct. A point really? there for Mark. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, we wanted to know, what is the only ballet that L.A. Ballet has performed in every season of its existence? Helen, what did Mark say? Mark said the Nutcracker. Bianca? That's right. That is correct. <laughs> Another point for Mark. <laughs> Bianca, how do, how do ballet dancers feel about the Nutcracker? Is it a love-hate thing? Do you, are you happy for the opportunity? Do you wish you never had to dance it again? Do you want another Christmas ballet to replace it? Love-hate, for sure. Love-hate, for sure. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I'd say about it. For ballerinas, having witnessed my daughter do this every year mm -hmm. and all you dancers, I said, the Nutcracker is like childbirth. 
right after it's over, January 1st, you're like, I will never do this again. Mm -hmm. But around July, it seems so cute and sweet. Mm -hmm. It's pretty accurate. Right? Is that that accurate? Yeah. And uh, what role do you play when uh, when they're doing the Nutcracker? I play uh, the Sugar Plum Fairy. Of course you do. And and we have an equivalent called the Rose, which is uh, the secondary principal part of the ballet. That's terrific. Wow. Flower ballet, that's my favorite part. Awesome. Uh, If people want to find out more about you or the LA Ballet, where can they go? Uh, Los Angeles Ballet to see our performances or BiancaBuell.com if you want to learn more about me. <laughs> Bianca Buell from the LA Ballet. Thank you so much for joining us. Bianca Buell. Uh, Helen, let's get a score recap as we head into our final round. At the end of that round, Susie Nakamura has six points and Mark L. Wahlberg has seven points. Oh, very close oh. game. Good catching up, Mark. But now it is time for our final round that we call Fast Facts. I will read ten statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Susie and alternate between each guest. Okay. Each correct answer is worth one point. This will determine the winner. Again, the correct answer is true or false. Okay. Here we begin. Susie, the movie Bull Durham starred Kevin Costner. True. Correct. Mark, Bull Durham was about football players. False. Correct. That's right. It was about minor league baseball players. Susie, there's a real minor league baseball team called the Durham Bulls. True. Correct. Mark, there's a real minor league baseball team called the Amarillo Sod Poodles. False. Incorrect. No, they really are. Go Sod Poodles. Uh, Susie. You erupt. Susie, there's a real minor league baseball team called the Montgomery Biscuits. True. Correct. Go Biscuits. Mark, there's a real minor league baseball team called the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes. The Salem Kaiser Kaiser Volcanoes? Yes. That it's specific makes me think it's true. I'm going to say true. That is correct. That is correct. All right. Susie, in 2017, the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes played a game during a total solar eclipse. What year was this? 2017. Uh, That is true. That is correct. That is correct. Mark, the team featured a promotion for the event called a total eclipse of the fun. (laughs) If they didn't, they should have. I say true. Incorrect. No. I'm not not sorry about that. All right. Susie, the event was called Eclipse Fest. True. Correct. Mark. Mark. You're being being robbed. Mark, I, J. Keith Van Stratton, attended the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes Eclipse Fest. Uh, I'll say true. Correct. That is correct. I did. Susie, it was awesome. True. True. (laughs) Helen? (laughs) Correct. Correct. And then finally, Mark, during the eclipse, I found a plant that kept saying, feed me, and had a thirst for human blood. (laughs) That's false. No, that one we're not going to count. Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests, Mark Wahlberg and Susie Nakamura, as Helen tabulates the final score. Mark and Susie embracing like the good sports that they are. Helen, are you ready to announce a winner on today's episode? I am. At the end of the game, Susie Nakamura has 11 points, and Mark L. Wahlberg has 10 points. A very close game. Congratulations, Susie. You are the facting champion. A clean sweep in the true or false round. Susie, what will you do with your championship? Uh, I'm going to brag. I'm going to brag about this uh, probably for the next four years. Wow, an entire Olympiad. All right, we'll take it. Thank you so much. We just want to give everyone on the panel a chance to promote any upcoming products, appearances, or services. Susie, what do you have to promote? Uh, I'm coming. uh, I started uh, two new shows. One is called Tacoma FD. It's premiering at the end of March. I didn't look up the date on True TV, and it's the uh, Super Trooper guys in a firehouse. And uh, I also have a small part in the new series on Netflix called Dead to Me, starring Christina Applegate and Linda Carlini. Awesome. Susie Nakamura, ladies and gentlemen. Mark L. Warburg, where can people find you? Well, I'm excited to announce that I'll be hosting a national tour. Of, it's a, a, I'm moderating a national tour symposium with the Gutenberg Bible. So. Oh, really? <laughs> now you tell me. Yeah, it's just us. And um, it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, Andy Cohen and uh, Anderson Cooper, similar thing. Um, I'm hosting Price is Right Live next week somewhere in America. I'm not sure where that is, so check uh, priceisrightlive.com. Temptation Island is on Tuesday nights if you'd like to be tempted. Monday nights is something you can tell people you actually watch. That's Antiques Roadshow. It's a pleasure to finally work with you. I've known about you for for so long, and it's a pleasure to actually share the stage with you. Mark L. Wahlberg, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, you are lucky, lucky people because your co-host is Ms. Helen Hong. You can find my performance schedule on my website, HelenHong.com, and follow me on all the socials at FunnyHelenHong. 
Funny Helen Hong. She is indeed Funny Helen and a Hong. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Mark L. Wahlberg, Susie Nakamura, Stephen Tabor, Bianca Buell, Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Jim Meek 55 did. He, she, or they said, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how much I look forward to each episode. What a great way to start off the weekend or end your week, depending on if you're coming or going. Thank you for being so flexible, Jim Meek 55. So nice. Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Ed Liu, Mona Shulman, Sherry Messalum, Cody Lawrence, Leora Saul, Mike Avianos, Dave Bianchi, Eric Tran, and and Christine Velada. I've been Helen Hong. Let's go look at Bibles. I'm Allie Gertz, host of Max Fun Podcast, Everything's Coming Up Simpsons. And despite what you learn about me on the next Go Fact Yourself, I was really popular in school. Yeah, Wayne's World um, is probably the thing I'm the most, uh, aside from The Simpsons, the thing I'm the most uh, fanatic about. Mm. Um, when I was in middle school, I uh, dressed up as Garth every single day for seventh grade. What? And every I day. Yeah, every day. Every day? And uh, I didn't stop going by Garth until a teacher, because everyone called me, and it was, you know, it was a casual, believe it or not, it was fairly popular, but like people would. <laughs> Who would think not with yeah. that? Thank you. Um, but then a teacher called me Garth, and then I was like, like, no, all bets are off. Like, once the teachers <laughs> are cool. out, yeah. it's not cool anymore. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.